Alright guys, we ready for Charlie X? Oh yeah. So I guess I'll start out with the question. Does Star Trek have a children problem? Well, define the children problem. Whenever it deals with uh, with children in any of its episodes, uh, does it do it successfully? So, but before we, I think that's a great question. Yeah, and I, um, I'm getting ahead of us a little bit, but can I ahead. can I for, foreground it a little bit, please? With, uh, that's not even the right word, but I, whatever. Um, <laughs> that the the problem of youthful rebellion was very much on the minds of everyone at, in the 60s in a way that I think we it's maybe hard for us to appreciate now but it was a it was con- considered to be one of the major social problems of the time like what what to do with a generation of teenagers and young people who were perceived of as being you know at risk and rebellious you know, Complete rebellious, completely you know, at odds with their parents in so many ways that they the children aren't now, and um, and also it's coinciding with the rise in crime during the '60s, which was you know driven primarily by p- people of you know teenagers and, and young men in particular. So it's I think one of the topics that that Star Trek returns to again and again, and um, they. This is the episode that I think actually, I mean, and you can you can correct me if you think, or you can you can disagree with me, of course. That is your right, but um, <laughs> I actually think this is the episode that addresses it the most successfully of the entire series because it 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 manages to thread the needle between talking about um, you know directly addressing the hippie problem, you know, like. The way to Eden does so clumsily, and then on the other hand, you have those episodes where the child, where we have actual children, not teenagers, mm-hmm. but actual children in rebellion, and having to deal, and the the crew having to deal with them. And those episodes also feel a little bit um, like they're not they're not addressing the heart of the problem. That the, they're they're kind of just trying to turn it into a you know a kind of horror episode or horror story or something um and i you know the one thing that it kept occurring to me this when i watched charlie x this time was that episode of the twilight zone exactly yep yeah which you know it must have been on this was this episode was written by dorothy dc dc fontana and it that I, i can't believe that she wasn't heavily influenced by that that twilight zone episode aware of it yeah or yeah, at least aware a, of it. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, it's called It's a much. Good Life, and it starred uh, the Anthony, the little brat with all the powers, uh, <laughs> was played by Bill Mummy, who uh, was also, uh, well, he played Will Robinson in uh, um, Lost in Space, and he also had a role on uh, uh, Babylon 5, if you remember that show. Well, he had a child actor who actually... Uh continued his career yeah uh, that, that, I, I was just curious when this uh let's see it was air, original air date was november 3rd 1961 hmm. and I, I i have to think that the twilight zone was fairly um well known and influential amongst the people who wrote for television later on 
Yeah. So that, that's an interesting point, Rob. That's um, if you think of all the other times, and I, I was trying to get to this with my very provocative opening statement about children in Star Trek, mm. is uh, are all these other episodes where children are used as some kind of a, a device or way to, as as you point out, address a, a social issue. Um, you know, and, and the children shall lead is is a, is a bad example. For mm-hmm. example, uh, there's also Miri, which is yep. an- another one which comes up not too long after this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, and of course the way to Eden, which is so on the nose. Oh right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Although I mean, they're in the way to Eden. They're relatively young, but they're not kids, like in Miri or and the children shall lead. I mean, they're all. At least oh yeah, they're, they're, they not. are actually adults, but but it's still the literal y- younger people. Yeah. <clears throat> Interesting. Now, um, as we we've probably talked about recently, and of course is well known now, this episode was episode two. Uh, uh, air, it was air order, mm-hmm. and it seems like an. Uh, in retrospect, seems like a very strange choice to have to have put it this time, especially because it's another episode where somebody, a human, attains great power and has to struggle with it. Right, like Gary Mitchell problem. Yeah, which it's saying, wow, we didn't we just do this? <laughs> yeah, or or mm-hmm. in the in the air it doesn't. Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, it just happened. So uh, and of course this was due to factors that they they had no control of at the time and yeah mainly special effects mm-hmm. it, it, it's unfortunate uh, and fortunately but of course today most people um, have not confined themselves to watching it strictly in that order so it, it's a little more um, forgivable now but it is something that Star Trek likes to to address and and does in other Star Trek series for that matter too. Yeah. Well, I would say that uh, it dresses or kids are much more prominent in next gen. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, because well, one reason being that Roddenberry had families on very, the ship. Sp- very, very deliberately. Yeah. Yeah. That that always gets to the point of on, on all of the Star Trek series, for the most part, is is this kind of idea that <clears throat> these ships have hundreds of people on them but you never you don't see most of them and you don't really understand what most of them do on the ship yeah. aside from you know on next next gen yeah they they go out of their way to say yeah there are families that just live there mm-hmm. and you know there there sometimes there are schools and teachers and you know obviously well Counselor Troy is is a social worker in a way, yeah. And mm-hmm. so there there are aspects of that, but you still wonder what all these crewmen do on the ship. And one one of the t- few times where they tried to address that a little bit was w- during Next Gen when they would a- have a few episodes where you would have like the night watch where it was like the B crew would come yeah. come and watch watch the bridge and and somebody else was was at the helm and things like that. And, Mm-hmm. That, that, that that was kind of fun to to ponder that, and then then of course the jokes come up, and 
well, the the big anomaly comes up, and the flunkies have to deal with it because you know hmm. Picard and Riker are asleep. <laughs> but back to our episode, I I find the the. I run run the the range with with the Charlie Evans character that he he's he can be very annoying yeah. at, at times, but ultimately is sympathetic. I would have to agree and, with that. I, I always find the ending you know kind of sad. Yeah. So it is. so it's kind of, it's it's well written in that and and acted for that matter that the the range is that that you you do ultimately feel sorry for him. Yeah. When it, it could have ended up not being that way and just been, Jesus, it's good we got rid of that guy. Yeah. The, uh, I was just thinking that uh, I kind of vacillate uh, with regards to Charlie's character because uh, in, in ways it doesn't seem, it doesn't ring true to me. But then you have to consider that the whole point of the character is that he was not raised by humans in a normal uh, human setting and and normal human society so Mm -hmm. he's not going to act like a you know an average 17 year old and I think on that basis it it ameliorates the you know the the impression that hey I don't know I don't you know the, the whole thing about not uh, not buying the the character. Well, from a from a modern perspective, it, it seems a little um, unwise for, for them to just put him on the ship and say, "Well, let's just have him hang around," Beca- yeah. because of his lack of experience with with uh, people. That um, yeah, it's prob- probably even aside with the the, the the his powers and all that stuff aside. He's still going to have some real problems, and yeah. and the uh, the fatherly influence of Captain Kirk isn't necessarily going to be enough to counter that on its own. Yeah, well, and as it and it proves that proves to be exactly the case too. Right, and you don't even need the threat of the um, kind of the red herring of, of his powers really even to have that drama. Yeah, not at all actually. So what what um, Eric doesn't ring true uh, in his you know in his character as an adolescent the way that he's written and and acted well the the way that he is so overtly um, uh, anxious for approval and uh, acceptance I mean he tells Doctor McCoy you know I want people to like me. Hmm. That and no that teenager seemed, would say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a good point. <laughs> it's like you know, fuck y'all. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Give me the brandy. <laughs> <laughs> and the uh, yeah, there, there are a lot of things you can you can criticize, of course, about this this episode. The the, the all the exchanges regarding Janice Rand and the ass slapping and all that. Yeah. Is, uh, <laughs> They don't. Kirk never really explains why it's not a good idea to do that. Well, I mean, he does. <laughs> other than you just don't. Well, I mean, he says there's no right way to hit a woman, which I think actually is a 
uh, a good way to uh, explain it to Charlie, but it, of course he didn't understand. Mm-hmm. Or, or, or the whole, like, maybe you shouldn't be hitting on her, period. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Because she is a professional, supposedly, <laughs> member of the crew. Well, I think yeah. he is... I think why I think it's well written is that he's trying to, in his way, to let him down, like, mm-hmm. let him down gently. Like, Kirk, Kirk is really trying to navigate his feelings and, and trying to be as gentle as he can, you know? And there's that where he says there's, you know, a million things you can have and a million things you can't. And he's, instead of just saying, you know, you idiot, she's a professional, you can't do that, you know, um, he's trying to... And she's mine. <laughs> and she's mine, exactly. She's yeah. my woman. That's right. That's her job. I, I, I tend to think that, or, or, or kind of wish that there, there was almost more more of the Charlie adjusting without without the threat of his alien powers. I mean it moves the action along, but it se- it seems to once that that he becomes this threat threat to the ship, it it seems a little bit uh, forced after that. So do you think that it's odd that Kirk, you know, really tries to have a normal have normal interactions with him at that point like takes him to the gym and knowing knowing already at that point that he has that, some sort that of he power. Has the power yeah well does it seem odd it it it's a little bit odd although maybe not for Kirk because he's supremely confident and he 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 seems to believe that this is still the best way to reach him mhm so I, I don't think it, that's that odd, but it 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 kind of again like it's it's so reminiscent of that Twilight Zone episode where where you know he starts making people disappear and people's mm-hmm. faces you know <laughs> yeah not being there you know creepy nice. shit like that. Um, it, it's it, for me I I wish it had been a, played a little less for that for that kind of thrill. Like 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 yeah, there's something weird going on with him, but. The focus still should have been on his adjusting to human society rather than just like, oh, he's a, he's he's kind of the threat of the week. I think the balance of that doesn't isn't quite as good for me. But and mm. and now that that's probably an unrealistic expectation, and looking back through a modern sensibility to that, and they're not they're not going to have you know Counselor Troy work with him and blah blah blah. <laughs> that that's not really what original series did most of the time and something had to move the plot mm-hmm. yeah yeah so yeah yeah but that that's just there there are moments in the episode early on before it became like oh yeah he destroyed the uh antares with his mind and did horrible things and turned what's her name into a lizard or whatever all that other stuff he did but before yeah. that it kind of went off the deep end it was more interesting i think even well, yeah, and the reason for that, I think, is that um, before we had, uh, before they get to the the problem of him being uh, super powerful mm-hmm. and having, well, you know, as you pointed out, very much like the uh, where no man has gone before. It's uh, it, it it holds a it, it does. Uh, 
Charlie Charlie's character essentially does what Spock's character does too. It's a foil or a mirror for you to hold up mm-hmm. um, human society to and take a good hard, you know, things that you never think about, um, uh, social conventions and uh, such as that, and gives you a chance to take a look at them from the perspective of somebody who is completely unfamiliar with them. Well, I think that's true, but that can also be done, uh, you know, separately from the whole uh, godlike alien powers thing. You don't. I mean, How do you mean? well, because Charlie X, Charlie X, <laughs> Char- Charlie is that a lot of the social things come around not necessarily because he is uh, because he has all these powers, but because he grew up with this uh, on this alien planet with no other humans and no physical contact, apparently things like that. Mm-hmm. That that's the thing that really drives a lot of his behavior. And a lot yeah. of that, it it, it 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 doesn't come across that. He, oh, I know I'm a badass and I can make shit disappear all the time. I have, no, I have all these insecurities and and I'm I'm lonely and all this other stuff that that's driven more by just. It, he could have been like that without the power. If just yeah. from his environment growing up on that planet, even even if he did not have all this power, the 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 alien power thing also gives them this easy way out at the end where the ship is rescued by his parents or they're, they're kind of like uh, um, get, uh, the Guardians well, or, yeah. or uh, Squire of Gothos even mm-hmm. oh right, that, that right. Had, it's almost the same ending except except it's a lot more sad and yeah it's like sad that. because there's because Trelane is in Squire of Gothos is a those spoiled are his. Yeah, well, he's a, well he's a spoiled alien child being yeah who, who's just misbehaving or, and yeah and yeah yeah okay he's he's just being kind of pulled back by his by his uh more responsible parents who q or whatever you think they are Ch- Char- charlie uh <clears throat> has to go back and live with these these energy beings or whatever they are he, but he's still a human being or was and so it, it rings differently Hmm. The way it, the way I I was kind of thinking about it, but it um it was it was that so that's kind of how I thought. Again, I'm not sure how you would have ended it. Once you have Charlie have these powers, because well, I, I mean you can you can you can you can either have it and then bailed out by the parents. Or the the other beings come and say, "Oh, Charlie shouldn't be out there with these little humans anymore because <laughs> mm-hmm. he's going to destroy them." Um, well, you know, the thing that occurs to me is that they actually found the way to defeat him or at least control him, and that's to overload his capacity to to control things, and because they mm-hmm. turned on all the ship systems and that's true, all of a they sudden, did. and you know the the logical conclusion to that is that um, they probably would have had to kill him. Well, that that's why I was just thinking because okay, they found a way to distract him, but in in the end, they would have either either had to just destroy him or okay, knock him out with drugs or something like that, so he never wakes up. And but if he can just if he can destroy another ship that's uh, what light years away with, with his mind. Yeah. Yeah, things like that. It's it seems like there wasn't a good way for Kirk and the crew to win, and have Charlie live. 
Yeah, and that's exactly what I was getting yeah. at. Um, if it hadn't been for the they, Deus yeah. Ex Machina of the of his alien guardians, then it probably would have had an even sadder ending because they would have had to they would have had to kill him. Yeah, exactly. Which you know, actually, um, so I guess they were either going to copy where no one has gone or no man has gone before, or Squire of Gothos. Mm-hmm. In terms of the end, yeah, that, that that's right, and that, that maybe that that's a, just a, a problem with um, a plot device like that. Yeah, <laughs> that that you you kind of uh, you, you aren't left with a lot of options. Yeah, well, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but I mean, if all of your options mimic an episode you've done before, well, then... The, then that aside, but I it's something in in the in the grand scheme of things that I, I, I feel like Star Trek returned to a few too many times. Yeah. Well, yeah. When else did it do it? Well, I mean, overall, not, I mean, there's obviously Trelane, there's um, Gary Mitchell, and probably... Apollo. Yeah, pa- Apollo's another godlike who, who being. There, there's, there's Q, which was way overused. Um, um, there, there, there are other, probably, examples. I guess even in Return to Tomorrow... Uh, that was kind of the case. Yeah, I mean, Hanok. yeah, and anything where the, the 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 guests or aliens or whatever are so far removed from the the capabilities of our our regular cast, it gets to be an issue where you can't just have them on equal footing. Yeah, and that's and and, and sometimes it's used well, and sometimes it, it's overused. I think. Yeah, yeah, I, I prefer the episodes where there is no. Rescue. Where, where the yeah, crew... and even I would even prefer um, Kirk talking the computer to death to that. Yeah, same. You same. know, as, t- it, you know was... as touching as uh, the ending of this is, but it's it's still you still kind of like oh, here they are and oh bye Charlie. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the the. That's that's something again. Again, not really fair to this individual episode to lay the entire run of all Star Trek series on it. But uh, this was one yeah, of the I very mean, first ones. Yeah. So well, it's hard not. It, I mean, you we we obviously can't have the perspective of uh, you know just having seen it for the first time. So right. Without all the baggage of the other series. Yeah, yeah, and um, it, it's it's interesting to, to I, I, it, this if I remember correctly, uh, um, Uhura has a song, uh huh, which is which is different. I mean, they don't do that very often on the show. In fact, they only did it twice that I know of. Yeah, exactly. And it, it's a little bit. I don't know. I kind of enjoy it. I've heard people complain about that, but. I, I think it's a nice little character moment. Yeah. Um, one thing about Nichelle Nichols, um, she was at... Actually, I've seen her at conventions a couple of times. And uh, I was actually talking with her a little bit, and uh, she sang with Duke Ellington. Oh, I did read and that somewhere. No kidding. Yeah, and uh, she told me that uh, he was the one who discovered her. Is that right? Wow. Yeah. That is great. It's fascinating. Yeah. She really does have a really strong, nice singing voice, and she mm-hmm. 
in this episode, she what she's doing in that scene, singing and and the movement too, is is tough, tough to pull off. I, I think it's it's an impressive performance. I also sort of feel like it gives you a different. It gives you an interesting insight into what Spock might be like. Mm-hmm. What what him let, letting loose is like. like. You see him kind of. You see him break into a smile, which is really, really unusual when when he isn't under the influence of some kind of you know alien presence or something. It's well, all you know. Right. Yeah, go ahead. Well, and it wasn't um, uh, like in uh, Paradise or this side of Paradise where you know he was walking around with a shit-eating grin. <laughs> right. Yeah, um, yeah. It was just a uh, uh, small, you know, small, more or less a hint of a smile. Right. Um, yeah, and it was almost. For, it seemed almost for the sake of the crew. He's like saying, "Oh, you want? I'm going to give you a little bit of what you want." Or, or, or this is my half-human side just peeking out a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. I, I, I like that um, because I mean, he obviously enjoyed playing for Uhura, and um, well, you know, the the that that whole scene is actually very nicely done because it starts off with Spock playing to himself and. Uh, Uhura just breaks in humming mm-hmm. along with him and he looks <laughs> he stops and looks exasperated and um, instead of getting mad or anything he um, or leaving or, or whatever um, he just gives a, a small smile and, and invites her goes with the to yeah, yeah. I, I also uh, like the fact that this is this is a, a Uhura character moment which really only happened very often in the very beginning of the show before she was kind of confined to switchboard operator mode yeah for the rest of the series for the most part with a few exceptions but it 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 felt like in these early episodes that she was more going to be a real real character or yeah. more of a character than she turned out to be there are other other well, moments you know. that that she has more dialogue and of course this this we probably talked about um, and as the show went on, the the leads gobbled up much more of the uh, of, of the screen time and, and dialogue. Well, have either of you guys heard the anecdote about? Um, well, she was going uh, actually was going to leave after the after the end of the first season. Right. Uh, you you've heard the that anecdote. I, I have about yeah. about her meeting um, Martin Luther King Jr. and he told her not to. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. You, yeah. Even with whatever problems <laughs> that she had, it, just her being on the show was so important. Yeah. Well, well, you know, and and we, with all of the succeeding Star Trek series and movies, uh, the the magnitude of what Roddenberry did by having a black woman officer on the bridge in a position of responsibility mm-hmm. in 1966. That is huge. That is, uh, you know, uh, considering, you know, the the racial tensions, the racism, the the race riots, civil rights, all of that that was going on in the mid '60s. Um, the magnitude of him accomplishing that and not getting slapped down by the the networks is incredible when you think about it. Yeah, I, I think, and and that that tends to go a long ways toward um, 
the, the side of, of the progressiveness of Star Trek, even if, if other aspects of it are are kind of retrograde in that way. Yeah. You know, all, all yeah. the sexism and everything like that. So you kind of got both. Yeah. And some of it you can, you can write off to the um, standards of the time, of our culture, but and some of it was just that was Gene Roddenberry's M.O. Yeah, that's okay. true. Well, I think it's pretty clear that he was he he was quite sexist. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I you know we we talked a little bit about uh, Yeoman Rand. Um, you know nothing against her, but I'm not too sad that she wasn't kept on the show. Well, but <laughs> part of the reason for that is um, that uh, uh, she was having, a, I believe, an alcohol or alcohol and drug problem. Uh, but it was more so that uh, Roddenberry tried to rape her. Yeah, I've heard that story too. That there's kind of a ugly story yeah. behind that. And apparently, he—I I don't know if this is confirmed or not—but apparently, he also had an affair with Nichelle Nichols too. I think I heard he did actually. Yeah, yeah he, he was seeing Nichelle, seeing as in I mean, having an affair with Nichelle Nichols and Major Barrett simultaneously, and then he was forced. By one or both of them to choose, and so he chose right. Major Barrett. But he, as compensation, or sort of as not compensation, but as sort of you know, to kind of he he cast Nichelle Nichols on Star Trek, got her the role. Um, sort of the idea. Now I don't. That's not the only thing that they got her the role. Obviously, she's talented, but um, she was certainly in the right place at the right time. Um, being hit, being Gene Roddenberry's girlfriend, um, yeah. But yeah. I mean his. I mean a lot of people whose work I admire were not great people, you know, mm -hmm. maybe even terrible people. In a lot of ways. Yeah, that that there are many um, examples. Yeah, Miles One Davis thing, was supposed to be a real son of a bitch. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean and, uh, just now to, Don Cheadle's making a movie. Uh. <laughs> oh, he's oh, yeah? gonna he's, he's gonna, gonna, gonna play him, man. I Miles think he co-wrote so. and directed it too. Ah, it's com coming out this fall. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, gonna, very flawed people, though. I was going to broaden broaden that a little bit to just talk about how I think one of the thing one of the disappointments as you watch the second and third seasons is the way that these these minority characters kind of get sidelined because they are in these first few episodes they really do have more more of a role to play in the plot more more screen time more, just more character development going on or more you know character things going on in these early episodes, then they just get... As soon as Spock and Kirk became stars, basically, or, yeah, you know, the were. actors became stars, then they had the the clout, basically, to just squeeze out, uh, you know, Sulu and, um, and uh, Uhura. And that's one of the reasons Uhura and Michelle Nichols considered quitting at one point, is because she was... Early on, you see her getting this... At, this screen time, and then later she was getting nothing, basically, except she'd get one line. And, um, and I think there are other reasons for it, but you know, I think it's it, it is one of the unfortunate things about the way that the trajectory is that he Gene Roddenberry did do um, a great thing in casting these minority actors, but um, what they were really squeezed out uh, as the series progressed, and totally, yeah, it's just it's unfortunate, really. I mean, it's it's also 
true of most of the minor characters. I think also Scotty became a bigger character, McCoy obviously, and there's only so much once you have three, basically three leads in right. Kirk, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, then you have very little of room left to to spend much time. And, the, and there are not but. that many episodes where um, you've got that whole ensemble going where you've got Chekhov yeah. and Sulu and, and the yeah. whole the whole bunch. Usually there are people like Billy Blackburn or whoever who are just sitting around with no lines yeah. driving the ship or whatever. Right. And, yeah. and that was just another again, part of its budget, part of its uh, you know, the, the just all, all of the content went to the leads. Right. Well, right. you know, and uh, one thing that I noticed on rewatching this is that uh, no Sulu, no Scotty, no Chapel, no. That's right. None of them are well, in this, are they? Mm-hmm. It, it really, it really feels that way. In that, there's, it, it was, it was a very cheap episode. Well, I think yeah. they were, they would have, they would focus on one or two minor characters and give them some some meat. You know, like like Rand and Uhura got got some pretty good screen time in this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think in The Enemy Within, I think Sulu has quite a prominent, a pretty prominent role in that one. A lot of screen time. Which so one? the naked time. The, the oh yes. Oh, the naked, he does in the naked time, and then he does in the enemy within as well. Yes, where he's stranded down on the planet. Um, so you're right. You're absolutely right. They weren't they weren't using every episode, but you do see an attempt to to give them some their their parts a little bit more meat than you see later on. Mm-hmm. One of the things that um, I noticed uh, is that when Early on in the episode, uh, when Kirk is making a log entry, he said he use, talks about contacting USPA headquarters. Huh. And I had to think about that. And USPA could be U E S P A, United Earth Space Probe Agency. Mm-hmm. If you remember, in Tomorrow Was Yesterday, he tells uh, Captain Christopher that they are. Um, organized under or um, administered by the United Earth Space Probe Agency. Hmm. And that that was the only time, with, with the exception of this, and I just caught this for the first time in Charlie X after having seen it God knows how many times. Uh, but there was no, I mean, as far as I know, it was never referred to again, and it was never explained. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's a weird little quirk, isn't it? Yeah. And it's one of those early continuity problems that they that nowadays you would have somebody paying attention to, but at the time right. sort of got you know, fell through the cracks. It's interesting. That um when you have, you know, people just a handful of really overworked people running the show uh, on a tight budget that you just those are things that just get kind of lost. <laughs> right, right, right. That again, the audience probably wasn't really looking for either. Right, yeah, the audience yeah. wouldn't have been attuned to it. <clears throat> I'm sure that somebody at some point has, in some, in a novel, you know, one of the non-canonical. I don't know what's the term for that, Eric. The what's that? The uh, expanded universe is that what it's called? When, you, uh, when it's not not canonical, but it's you know, like they all have oh. novels that are about. Or, yeah, um, I don't know. Um, 
But I would imagine, <laughs> yeah. I would imagine that somebody explains it. Some somebody somebody fit, work it out. out I'm sure, work it out. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Do you guys have any more thoughts about this one? You know, do you like it? <laughs> yeah, I do. And you know, it's interesting because I was thinking about uh, when we did our write-ups prior to uh, doing uh, podcasts. Um, you, John, I, as I recall, I didn't actually go back and read your. I haven't read it write-up. actually. I, I kind of wanted to to to, to, to not see how to, it compares. Yeah, I, maybe yeah, I, I, I came up with something totally different. Because I think you were pretty hard on it in your write-up. And Mm -hmm. it's interesting that, you know, in the intervening, what, seven years, (laughs) that uh, opinions are are changed about it. Um, And mine mine did a little bit, too. Uh, I'm probably a little less enthusiastic than I was originally, Mm -hmm. at least in ways. I'm not sure. Uh, But um, I have to wonder if it's not the effect of going back and watching a very early episode, yeah. first season episode, compared to the, you know, just coming off the direct at the end I, of the third season. I was thinking season. the exact same thing. I, I, I'm starting starting to think that it's so refreshing to watch these early ones again. Yeah. <laughs> that that it's a little bit, and and probably the last the previous time when I wrote that and after seeing it, um, most of the episodes I had watched in those years were the really good ones that I would just pick out and watch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you never selected the bad ones to watch for the most part. Right. Yeah. You, you, you say, would just oh, so, watch, you'd pull out yeah. the DVDs or whatever and you'd go, oh, I'm going to watch Tholian web or I'm going to watch city on the edge of forever or whichever. I'm not, I'm not going to watch, um, turnabout intruder by choice. Right. And so, yeah. You, and, and so the, these come off maybe, you know, in hindsight looking a little better. You know, though, I'm just curious. Uh, uh, other than the Turnabout Intruder, what are like three or four other episodes that you will not voluntarily watch? <laughs> not voluntarily watch, um, and then that 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 list has changed over the years too. I, I used to be a very a big hard ass about uh, the Paradise Syndrome. Mm-hmm. Because I, I just couldn't I you know the 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 Kirk acting Shatner acting in it and, yeah. and the American Indian stuff was so bad and and, and yeah. still is to be honest but it 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 has some things in it that I kind of enjoy now <laughs> yeah that you kind of have to embrace a little bit yeah um, you know beyond beyond that I mean and, um, and I've never had a big problem watching Spock's brain. No, even even because it is just funny. Yeah, it, it's something that you can you can find an entertainment value out of it. Um, that's another one I probably wouldn't wouldn't watch. You, you know, um, pro- probably not. Um, mind escapes me now. Uh, that which survives. Mm. That. That one, although again, it's I, I I'd still if, if you put it into the turnabout intruder um, lens, <laughs> it, they they, yeah. they all look pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that that that's what I was thinking. Um, I was not thinking real wild um, about the empath. Yeah, mm-hmm. go ahead. No, I was gonna Rob. say, is there in truth no beauty? Is one yeah. that I would I would always take a pass on. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't have any camp. I I would call it camp value. 
that Spock's brain has, and even and Turnabout Intruder has because of its badness. Yeah. Um, the the yeah, apple yeah. is one I've always took a pass on. I, uh, I've never enjoyed that one. Yeah, that's not. That's hell. That's yeah, second that's... season. <laughs> yeah. 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 There, 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 there's a good handful of them that. You, you you can find positive things about, but if 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 you have them in front of you, you usually aren't going to want to watch very much. Yeah, yeah. The when it comes down to it, though, for me, the only one that I would refuse to watch is Turnabout Intruder. Hmm. I think yeah. I mean the others. I might not enjoy it tremendously, but I'd at least. I mean, I could tolerate watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and anyway. the children shall lead is pretty painful to me too. Yeah, that's true. That that one, I I if I never see it again, it would be fine. Because <laughs> that that one is in some ways has gotten worse over the years for me. One thing that I noticed, and I'm I'm a little curious what you think about it. It seems like a really minor thing, but the the polish on these early episodes. I mean, we've only been we only now watched what three. So, I, not a big sample, but the polish in this episode, in terms of the costume sets, um, pacing, uh, the, how the, the just the dialogue is very, very um, well crafted and obviously well edited, and but but even the small things like Kirk's hair is very well well kempt, and if you notice in later episodes in the series. His hair looks really bad in some episodes, and it's part of it. I, I think is kind of the general trend toward shagginess in men's hairstyles. Yeah, but but also, but I also kind of wonder whether it's just sort of the letting things slide that was happening. Um, I don't know, but I know it's. I feel like the difference is very noticeable. The the, the show is yeah. the production is just a little bit tighter. Yeah, the production values in general are are stronger. There's more care, and they're still trying to launch the show. Well, you know, the uh, uh, one of the comments I read about the effect of Roddenberry walking off in the third season mm-hmm. is that in the first two seasons, I think in particular the first season, but the second season as well, um, he took a very hands-on approach to each and every script. Uh, he did a lot of rewriting, polishing, and uh, he was he was the line producer, so that means he wasn't directing but he still had a lot of influence and control over how the shows were produced and it shows well it, it definitely it, if nothing else has a consistency mm-hmm. that that you really miss in third season of a voice well, the, of a voice. the other, other big showrunner in today's terminology was gene coon who actually yeah. who left he actually before roddenberry did left midway through the second season and his I think it's it was that combination of losing both of them. And I, yeah, Gene Coon had a go ahead. Gene Coon had a huge influence. Yeah. I mean, he created the Prime Directive, the Klingons. Uh, he wrote se- uh, several of the really good episodes, like um, A Taste of Armageddon, for instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, th- from what I've read, he was responsible for a lot of the. Uh, that very uh, warm, collegial uh, feeling uh, between the characters. That uh, I, I don't know. It's kind of 
signature of Star Trek. And, and I, I think he really, I, I, in, until the, you know the last few years at least, I was mostly unaware that he had such an influence on the show. Yeah. And and, and wrote not only writing them but just a lot of the the character things that we really the the little things that we love about the characters. Um, yeah. He, he he was partially responsible for that. Where yeah. I think growing up, it was just a this was Gene Roddenberry's whole vision. It you know, came out fully formed, everything you know because that that's that was kind of the 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 legend. Mm-hmm. That you know, part partially you know his his doing of course, but uh, Gene Kuhn um has I think has been really interesting to read about and. And the, the different, uh, you know, some of the struggles he had with the other writers and with Gene Roddenberry and things like that. Yeah, apparently they had quite a row over um, bread and circuses. That that one, I, yeah, I read about pretty recently in the These Are the Voyages Volume Two book. That that episode was was interesting to me to to read about. Yeah. It was. Yep. It was indeed. Do you guys have anything else for this one? Or do you want to wrap well, it? Me. Yeah, why don't we wrap it? Okay, guys. That's good. good. What's what's our next one? Oh, I don't have uh It's not in your memory anyway, banks. Alpha. I believe that it's the naked time or the enemy within. Um oh, okay. hold on one second, I'll find out for sure. One damn minute, Admiral. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Very determined typing. Yes. It's the naked time. Good. Rob! Sorry. <laughs> you spoiled it. All right, guys. Uh, until then. All righty. We'll, we'll talk to you guys later. Off. All right. Good, Have bye-bye. a good night.